We've talked about this over and over, but I just want to remind you that Ephesians is giving you a grand plan, God's grand plan for the ages uh, to redeem a people from every tongue and tribe and nation, to gather them together uh, and to make them new and to bless them. And we see this um, in a very powerful way. And what we've seen so far is that God gave us new life. We were dead in our sins and he brought us to new life. We were alienated from God and from one another. And uh, when he raised us and rebirthed us, he birthed us into a new family, into a new humanity, almost like a new society. And now we're in the section of this book where we're saying, and these people who have been raised to life are now dwelling uh, together by new standards. They, They live in a totally new way. They, they, they're, they're transformed uh, in a powerful, powerful way. Now, for some of you, you're going to say, um, what would that look like? And, and help me understand that. And I'm going to try to do that with an illustration because I don't know any other way to like really bring it to light than to say something like this. Let's say that you were born into a crack house. Let's say you were born there and you lived there and your whole life was really knowing nothing but like a total kind of wasted living. Let's say that world that you grew up in was filled with lying and violent anger and stealing and bitter cursing and division and abuse of all types, and immorality. That's just almost something you would be ashamed to even speak of. And let's say that you had to develop skills to survive in that horrible culture, and the only models you had were the adults that lived there. For some of you, this may like land closer to home some of you like I don't really know if I would understand what you would be talking about but if you were to just go through and replay snapshots in your mind of what life would like would be like there and then say okay let's just say that one day someone knocked at the door and at great personal sacrifice They came to rescue you out of this pit. And for the first time, instead of living in this darkness, they brought you into the light. You would say something like, it was as if I had been birthed again. And let's say that they didn't just rescue you out of that darkness and out of that rebellion and out of that horrendous situation. Let's say they brought you into their home and they cleaned you up and they clothed you and they made you a part of their family. The first day you might be filled with kind of with joy But potentially that night when you went to bed, you might think, is this really just a dream? 
You might even be afraid and think, I just want to sneak out of here and go back to what I know. It's a little frightening. Everything is so new. But then the next morning and subsequent mornings, you begin to realize that this family was not just someone that brought you in, but they actually brought you in as literally a part of the family. It was a family filled with love and care and respect and honor and purity and generosity and kindness and thanksgiving. You might not even have the skills to express gratitude if you were in that situation. You might not know what that would look like to be in a place where people loved in that way. You might even at times think back to those days before. You might have moments where you thought, you know what, there's extra food on the table. I'm going to take that for myself and hide it in my room. There are so many things that could like grasp your mind like as you kind of try to contemplate that. And then I just kind of want you to stop and think for a moment. You might say, Jared, that's really far removed from me. But you still seem to have some of those patterns. I mean, the reality is, everybody here is not like, they don't come into this world right. And they don't grow up in a... The, in the right way. Nobody's growing up in a perfect setting. And no one here is saying like, I have had everything together, made all the right decisions, and I'm perfect. Everybody has a little bit of that house in them. A little bit of that that grips their heart. It might be the fear of loss. It might be the fear of somebody not liking you so you would lie. And you say, a little bit of that house of rebellion resides in me. And I just can't seem to get rid of that. And so although I've been brought into this new life and birthed into this new family, and given these wonderful standards of love and joy and kindness and all of those things, and although those have all been promised and they're all I believe they're true. It's hard for me to practice that. Because, God, these habits of old, this habitual way of thinking that seems to grip me. Today we're going to start with looking at this new nature that we have been given. And then we're going to talk about basically the new habits that kind of should follow it. And I'm just telling you, you don't live this out perfectly. It's just part of it. There's too much baggage that you're bringing in to the Christian life. And that baggage is still there. And the harder you work sometimes, <clears throat> the worse you feel. But we'll look at that together. You ready? Verse 17 through 19. He says, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. You notice this, by the way, you see futility of their mind, darkened in understanding, 
alienated from the life of God, ignorance that is due to their hardness of heart. You, you, you see what's happening here? There, there's something about the fallen people. There's something about rebellious people. There's something about this people that have no, nothing of the life of God in them. That Even though they might be intellectually, like they might be brilliant, they're broken. Their ability, they might be able to defend things and speak of things and understand things that you and I might say, how could they even be able to do this? But the reality is, is their vision of God is, 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 is non-existent. And so they are limited in their ability to comprehend what is right and good and just and true. He says you are not to walk in that way. Romans 1 speaks of these people even suppressing the light that they have. They press it down and they end up worshiping and serving the creation rather than the creator. They abandon all sense of decency. And it just, God gives them over. Part of their judgment is they're left to themselves and they just continue in a downward spiral. Remember Ephesians 2. You can write that down next to these verses. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He says that you used to follow after the course of this world. See, saying this old life, this old house, this old way of living and thinking, this, this absolute rebellion and, and rejection of what is good and right and just, that old way of thinking, that's not the way you need to think any longer. Because your, your mind used to be clouded. Your, your mind used to not, not be able to see clearly. You used to be in a funk. You used to be in a fog, but no longer. Because what happened? The light was turned on. You passed from darkness to light. You went from total blindness to now saying, I can see. You went from saying, I was deaf, but now I can hear. Something changed. The light bulb turned on. You learned Christ. And in learning of Christ... You learned that that old house, that old way, that darkness, that that blindness, that just absolutely horrendous situation, that's not life. Because you were brought into the light. And you learned Christ. And it wasn't just learning of Christ so that you could say, now I can be a good person, now I can be a good person. No! The light came on and you thought, now I'm set free from the bondage that once entangled me. The chains have been broken. And I'm brought into things that are are truly like right and good and fulfilling. And, And joy can come now. Learning of Christ is... I'm set free from not only sin's penalty, but sin's power. And I want to live now for Him. Not out of drudgery, but really out of a joy. A delight in the things that are good and wholesome and right. 
Verse 22. You learn Christ, and in learning of Him, you learn to put off. We're speaking of the old nature, old self, old man. Sometimes the Scripture will speak of. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Once all you had was old self. You were dominated by old self. You were dominated by a way of thinking. A a nature driving you. And and the scripture tells us in Romans 6. It's been crucified. And you've been raised with Christ. And there's this new man. a, A new operating entity inside of you. Driving you to live in a different way. And he, so he says, you put off that. There's still this struggle internally within the believer. But he's saying, you put off that way. Put off the poison. Stop walking in death. And put on life. It's kind of what he's saying. And he's saying that in the context of saying, listen... Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 2.10 said, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Jesus came to make us a new creation. Jesus came to take dead people and bring them to life. And when He did, you become more human. And you you start acting like a human. You start acting like an image bearer. You are for the first time set free to live for God. That's why Paul could say in Romans 6.11, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So no longer now do you have to be under the reign of sin doesn't control your body. But instead, you present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. You're now a tool in the hand of God to be used by God for His glory and for your good and for the good of humanity. This new self, this created in the likeness of God has to do with regeneration. It's, it's, it is. It's like the new birth. Sometimes the Scripture will speak of it in that way. And what you understand about the new birth is the new birth, it, it, it not only allows, but it pushes you towards a new way of living, a new standard of living. So we said in Ephesians, God brings new life to you. This, this new life, this new birth, if you will, It happens in the context of a family so that you're like awake to a new family who live by new standards. And it's not like new standards like, oh, they have 10 different rules up there and they just love to spank people that don't live up to those. You know, where somebody walks around all the time like, I'd love to take a stick, slap their hand and be like, you did wrong. You know, can't stand you. And I hope that you do wrong ten more times today. It's not that kind of family. It's not that kind of family. 
It's it, you're birthed into a family with this new desires, and then you're trying to learn how to live out what you want to live out, which is a holy life. And so you're running alongside with other people who are trying to do the same thing. And yeah, they're going to fail, but they're not looking to see you fail. They are not trying to find out how did you fail today? I'm so glad that you failed so I can hammer on you. They're actually saying like, man, yeah, I've been there. Okay, we got to redirect things. We got to get back up again and pick you up. Picking you up off the ground today because, yeah, you busted it. I busted it yesterday. Thanks for picking me up. We're all together. We're running, running, running. Right? Towards the right things. Titus 2 says, For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation for all people, or all men, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So it's, it's, it's about the transforming of someone that they might live in this present world in a different way. Now you say, good night. How do I do that? I mean, come on, like that, that seems like such a far thing for me because I don't know that I even know how to change. Or I've had people say to me like, Jared, and I've struggled with it. There's been times where I'm like, uh, not sure what to tell you there. Like, how do I live the Christian life? What does God want from me? And be like, okay, you went too far. I can't answer that. No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, there are times where I've thought, man, I'm, I, that's just, I don't know. It just seems so big. I mean, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, I almost feel like I could go down 50 rabbit trails when we talk about that. But I think there's some things here uh, that the Apostle Paul does in, in Romans and in Ephesians that really will help us. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What he says is, in light of all that God has done, now as an act of worship, as an offering, offer your lives back to God. And then in Romans, he says, I'm going to show you how to offer your life back to God. And here in Ephesians, he's going to say, you should live this new way. You've had a break with your past. You've been rescued out of the darkness. You've been rescued out of this horrendous situation and brought into this unbelievable situation. And you have new abilities and you have a new family and now you have new standards. And you should want to do those because they're good for you and good for others and they glorify God. And so let's learn to do this together. But you say, give me some examples. That's what I would say. I need some examples. I, I, I need just a couple of examples. Well, he gives you seven. Now, this is what religious people don't like examples like this. They, they just don't. They want examples that are very much controlled. Don't do this. Oh, okay. Always obey your parents. Check. Don't ever act in this way. Check. They, they would rather like a handful of don'ts, not much do's. Right? And, and they, they would rather just have a handful of those and be like, oh, I'm really religious and everybody else around me stinks. You know, 
That's kind of the way they, they dig that kind of thing. But these are like new habits. These are new ways of life. And habit is one of those things where you kind of like, in the practicing of the proper thing, you're kind of like laying aside the old thing. When you're trying to retrain yourself in, in good habits, you're, you're leaving something behind and grasping something new. Because some people will say, you know, and it was a very big kind of thing when I was growing up as a kid about, you know, different things, but it would just be like, just say no. But what are you saying yes to? Right? If I'm leaving something, I've got to go to something else. It's just the reality. It's like saying, I'm going to stop eating sweets and start eating fruit or whatever. I'm, cha- I'm moving. I'm, I'm, I'm shifting. I'm making a different step. I'm, I'm changing a new pattern, and I'm going down a, a new road. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I don't come to the forks and hit the stop and put it in park and sit there. I got to go somewhere. And that's kind of Paul says, put off, put on. Verse 25. The issue of truth comes up. He says, therefore, putting away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So you're putting off falsehood and putting on truth. Uh, I mean, there's probably a lot of different ways we could talk about this. I do think about Southerners and the way that they act a certain way, put on this mask. They're kind of false. How are you doing? Great. How do I look? Great. You know, it's like everything's great. Everything's a smile, right? So they're, they're putting off what is false, putting on what is true. And in putting on, on what is true is they're speaking the truth with their neighbor. And we're going to talk about that. Some people are really good at feeling like, oh, yeah, I just tell people the truth. I tell them the truth every time. And you're like, your truth? Okay, that's great. Not sure how good that is. But everybody should listen to it. And you're like, no, probably not everybody should listen to your truth. But... The deal is, is there's a way of speaking to one another with the truth in a way that builds them up. Just the reality. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But in this context, he's saying, listen, sometimes, I mean, oftentimes uh, you're left with this this place of like uh, no one in the room. This happens to like a CEO's oftentimes, they say. Like they are like people that people, uh, nobody in the room says anything about what's really going on. Everybody puts the smile on their face. It's the same way sometimes in church. You can just put the smile on your face, try to act like everything's good when it's not. And then when everything is, the house is on fire, then everybody starts showing up saying like, it's really bad now, you know. But the reality is, he's saying like, if you make a practice, a habit, of going ahead and like speaking the truth both to one another and like sharing with one another about like the situation uh, that that's that's like a, a place of blessing. It's a place of blessing for everybody involved. If if you could live around some people that really actually you could speak the truth about situations with them, and it would not end up like being broadcast to the world, that would be a nice thing too, right? Second, kind of the deal of anger. Verse uh, twenty six, twenty seven. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so this has the idea of like, you know, I could, I could say like, that's, that was, I, this particular thing is, is unjust. I, I think it's wrong. I, I know it's wrong. I'm angry about it. Uh, and, and yet, and, and there's things in the world, there's things in, 
in, in, in someone's family or whatever, you could say, this is absolutely wrong. I know it's wrong. But, but there's a, a way of dealing with that where you're not letting bitterness grow. There's a way of dealing with that, say, I'm angry with this situation because it's wrong. And, and you have to make sure it's really wrong. But if it is really wrong, then there's a proper way to say, this thing makes me angry. It truly does. And I don't like what it is and all these things. But I'm not going to let it destroy everything in my life and in the lives of others around me. We're, we're going to deal with the issue there. We don't want to. The idea of giving the devil an opportunity is that when unforgiveness kind of grows in someone's heart and bitterness reigns over time, it has a foothold and it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And then you add more to it. And then all of a sudden you're one of those people who have story after story of all the things that you're still bitter about. You're just like the most bitter person in the world. It's like, how are you doing? Well, I'll tell you how I'm doing. In 1974, you're like, what are you talking about? Why has bitterness been left to grow and fester and all? It, it's been a poison to your life. But but it's it's that old oh, sorry Ben house, it's that old house thinking. It's not y'all's thinking. I understand y'all don't have any of this stuff. It's that old house thinking. It's the way I grew up. It's all I know. It's the way we dealt with problems there. That's, that's the old way of thinking. It's the way of corruption and deceit and lying. and it, It's the way of death, really. It's the way of destroying your life. But that stuff permeates someone's way of thinking. And it can permeate your life. But in the new way of thinking, it's radically different. Number three, speaking of the concept of work. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Um, so in the context of this, I, I hope you kind of understand this, like this culture, this worldly culture, these people are coming out of that. And it is a context where there would be people that didn't do anything. Just went around stealing stuff. They did not want to pay the price of honest work with their own hands. The, the concept here, though, is just is really interesting. It's not just saying, go get a job so those things you used to steal, you can now buy for yourself. It's not the concept. That is not the way, the, the, the Christian thinking here. I mean, the concept here is, is that you work and certainly you would provide for your needs, but you also try to bless others in the process and provide for them. So the, Again, like the concept is not just to provide for yourself and buy yourselves more things. So you have more things than the other guy. No, it's just that you're, you're constantly seeking to work hard with the, the gifts that God has given you to, to provide for, again, your needs, but really with the focus of how can I bless others with the work that I've done? How can I be generous with whatever resources that I have? The idea of, of fourth is the, the concept of speech. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such that is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This is, um, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, there are certain words in our culture in good upstanding like Christian culture that you're not supposed to say, but you can say anything else in a horrible way and it's okay. That's how some people think, right? It's ridiculous, but that's how some people would think. And, and I wanted you to think in this terms because the reality is you're asking yourself, like, do these words that I'm about to say, which I don't do this oftentimes, Will they give grace to those who hear? Will it, will, it, will it ultimately build up? That doesn't mean that you don't have hard conversations. I mean, it's just not the reality. Sometimes you do have hard conversations. You have to speak to things. But it's the heart at which you speak to the, a certain issue that is most important. Will these destroy or will they build? Now, you might say, hmm, Sometimes, like a, a doctor says, like, I'm about to go in there and do some cutting so that, like, I can ultimately bring healing. And sometimes we would have to speak to someone truthfully, honestly, and it would be a little bit like, it hurts a little. But behind that is, like, the, the desire to see healing. Be like with my kids saying, like, with one of them, and I say, like, look, you've done this thing, you're going to get a spanking. But behind that is me hugging them and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I'm for you, I'm trying to build you. But part of building you takes, there's a little bit of pain that comes with the gain here. Like, and I'm going to try to do that. And so I think that's kind of the concept here with, with speech. That, so you could say, what was that old way of, how did people speak to one another in that old house? How did they speak to one another? Well, they were terrorizing, fighting, screaming, just speaking filth over one another, like just insane. And that old house, before I got rescued out of it and placed in this one, that was the way. And I might sometimes want to fall back into that, even though I know it's a, it's, it is poison to a relationship. But I'm still trying to learn how to put on these new clothes and live in this new way and walk in a way that would be a blessing to one another. Everybody's fighting that to some level. Verse 30, verse 30 seems to kind of pick up the whole of the, uh, this passage. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What it's talking about is he's talked about that in chapter 1. The Spirit is with us now. The Spirit is dwelling with us so that the words that we say, the things that, that we're thinking, the words that we're saying, the things that we're like letting grow in our hearts and, and the attitudes that we have and the way we treat people, all that stuff, the Spirit of God is with that. He sees that. So sometimes you say, well, nobody knows what I was saying. Well, the Spirit's there. Don't grieve the Spirit is kind of the, the concept there. The fifth thing we see is the attitudes in verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. You think about that. Someone who's like, kind of let's say unforgiving, bitterness grows, maybe wrath comes out, anger explodes out of them and clamor, and then maybe they slander you. They would just run you into the dirt, and, and then they might even insult you to their face. That's just how it does. It just grows and grows and grows and grows. And what he says is, that's to be put off. That practice is to be put off, and you are to practice putting on being kind and tender-hearted and forgiving as Christ forgave you. 
Now that little add-on, as Christ forgave you, is not, it's very purposeful. And Paul's going to do that throughout uh, this kind of series of, of instructions or commands. He's going he's gonna to do that. He's going to kind of explain that to you. But it's just really important for you that you just see that. So it's, um, that's the fifth thing here, and it's just uh, you're constantly being reminded of what's been done for you so that you can, like in response to that, uh, show that same kind of kindness towards others. Now, um, have you ever practiced something? You say, I'm going to practice at that. I'm going to be good at it. And the first time you go out there, you're like, oh, my goodness. I'll never be able to hit that ball. Or I might even think, my kid will never be able to hit that ball, right? I'm going to teach him. I'm going to help him. And then I might, Will and I both might be practicing something like that, and we both say like, oh, let's leave this no more today, right? Just, it's just too much. We have to kind of help each other, which some of us might be like, I don't really like investing time with, in people and helping them kind of figure out how to do this well, which is kind of a sorry way to be. And we might struggle ourselves where you say everything about this doesn't seem natural it doesn't seem natural it doesn't seem right you say keep practicing one day it'll feel more natural keep practicing it one day you'll enjoy the way it feels one day it will bless you one day the fruits will like show up in your family of that One day you'll say, oh my goodness, like, I delight in being kind rather than bitter. I don't know what happened. I started being kind to people and I actually enjoyed it. And they started putting a smile on their face when they saw me. And they were happy to talk to me. Because I wasn't running everybody down. I don't even understand it. It's such a blessing. You ever had that happen? You're like, dude, something's wrong with you. You ever had that happen? You started practicing the right things. You're like, this is life to me. This is life-giving to other people. This seems like the way it was intended to be. The sixth one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You you see, he builds the case by looking at Christ. Be imitators of God as beloved children. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. True love, true love, true love here. When you, when you think of true love, what does it look like versus that old way? Seven, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking. Again, I think tied the sexual immorality there, which are outside, out of place, but instead thanksgiving like expressing gratitude for the way that God designed the world. What, what God designed for a man and a woman. Expressing gratitude for that. So what, what are we saying here? Our old nature, our old nature, our old ne- way, our old direction, 
that, that old way, it, it's still like we're still battling with that. But now we're just not dominated by it. We have new life. And not only that, we've been birthed into this new family. And, and even though like right now we're not what we ought to be, we're, we're still a bunch of people that have new life. That have been reborn. That have been born again. That have like this, that have been transformed. We are running together by these standards that, that are kingdom standards. That are God's way of being. That, that, that really reminds you of God. That, that really reminds you what it means to look like God. What God is like. What, what attitudes we see in God. What actions we see in God. That's, that's really what we're after. Because we become closer to God by acting like God. We begin to look like Him somewhat. We are trying to image Him. And we're trying to do that together. And that's not always easy. And we sometimes want to fall back into the old way. But we live in a new house. And there's new standards that we live by. And those standards are, are, are standards of grace and standards of joy and standards of building people up and standards of loving people rightly. And we're living in that now. But sometimes we forget. So we got to make a practice. Putting on the right habits. Putting off the old. And as we put on the new, over and over and over again, we see God do things in us and produce in us glorious things. Things that glorify Him, build people up, and reach the lost world. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would give us greater love and joy when we consider Your ways, Your perfect ways, your ways that will bless and build and, and instruct and, and challenge and encourage and move people forward. We pray we would live like children of the King. Not run back to the ways of bondage. In Christ's name, amen.